Welcome to Conversations for Life, a marriage and family podcast from Cross Life with hosts Jonathan and Kathleen. Each episode, we sit down and talk about the things that matter most to those that matter most to you. We're so glad you're with us today. Please pull up a chair and join in the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Conversations for Life. Today, we're looking at one of the most important aspects of the Bible's teaching on the relationship between men and women. Yeah, in our last conversation, we looked at Genesis 3.16, and some have claimed that this verse sets up a marital paradigm of continual conflict because the woman will constantly try to usurp her husband's authority. Uh, I think that the perspective misses the mark as far as what Genesis 3 wants us to see about men and women. Uh, A much more significant aspect, I think, of the relationship between men and women that's connected with Adam and Eve's sin is the contrast between how chapter 2 ends and its description of the oneness between the man and the woman, and then what happens to that oneness in chapter 3. Yeah, so back in Genesis 2, God made Adam, and then he made Eve out of Adam. And in the climactic moment, Adam says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then the narrator says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, that last one was verse 25. And so we have a wonderful picture here of the essence of marriage. It's one of unique covenantal unity, trust, intimacy, and oneness. Mm. And that last verse in particular, uh, Genesis 2.25, is what we're looking at today. And it says that both Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. And this is, you know, Kathleen, this is really significant because if we fast forward to the next chapter, after Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Mm. So immediately what happens after they sin is that they recognize their own nakedness, and they want to cover themselves. This is a reversal of what was said in 225, that they were naked and unashamed. Now they are naked and ashamed. And this is much more what the author of Genesis, I think, wants us to see about the relationship between men and women after the fall than the idea of women having some kind of inherent desire to rise up against their husbands. You know, I mean, if I could just say one thing about that view of men and women mm-hmm. and that interpretation of Genesis 3, you know, when you step back and you think about it, it's such a weird and I would say even a warped view of this story. Nowhere do we see any discussion about authority in Genesis 3, except as it relates to Adam's failure by illustration to exercise the authority given him. So perhaps, you know, you might say it's no accident that when people connect authority with the fall, they don't connect it rightly to Adam's failure to exercise it in a way that would result in love and kindness and courage toward his wife. Rather, they talk about the wife's supposed desire to usurp her husband's authority. I I personally think that's very revealing. Yeah, you're right. It is very telling, and perhaps it reveals more of an obsession with holding on to authority and treating it as this envied possession Mm. rather than a responsibility, a self-giving thing, than is warranted by the text. 
But um, if we look at the contrast between these verses, between Genesis 3-7 and 2-25, we see the paradigm the author wants us to see. The very first effect of Adam's and Eve's sin is them recognizing they're naked and covering themselves. Fallen marriage is not so much about inherent conflict and struggling for power, but about mutual shame, mistrust, and self-protection. Oh, wow. That's, that's so good. And you're, Kathleen, that last thing you said there, I mean, can you just say that again? Yeah. If, if we connect Genesis 3 with Genesis 2, and especially the final verse that sums up the essence of marriage before the fall, where the husband and wife feel a sense of intimacy, trust, love, vulnerability, oneness in every way humanly possible— then we see how Adam's and Eve's fall disrupts and corrupts and breaks this paradigm. Mm. Now they feel their nakedness. And so what do they do? Well, out of a sense of mutual shame and mistrust and self-protection, they cover themselves. Yeah, you know, I think I think verse 7 really is about much more than just the man and woman clothing themselves mm. bodily. I mean, it describes yeah. a profound change in their sense of self and their relationship with one another that comes out of the fact that their relationship with God is now corrupted. Mm. You know, as image bearers, everything good and glorious about human beings comes from God. You know, if you remember, I stated that being an image bearers, I say this before when we were talking about Genesis 1, that being image bearers of God means that we are conduits of God's character and presence. And so in their sin, Adam and Eve experience a corruption, a breaking of this relationship, and a deep profound and cosmic way. And this immediately spills out into their relationship with one another. Yeah, that that paradigm that we see in Genesis 2 is now corrupted by sin, and now it's characterized by the opposite rather than um, openness and trust. There's shame and mistrust. So, you know, uh, Kathleen, what's absolutely crucial to understand, and this is why the Bible is so brilliant and so true, is that um, it's not as if the new paradigm of Genesis 3 just erases the old one. You know, otherwise, everyone would just hate marriage, right? No human beings would be in love if it was all bad. We would hate the whole idea. But really what's going on in marriage is that the design of God in creation is still the foundational design of human life. It's just that now this design has been corrupted and shattered. Yes. So what this means is that everyone has this great ideal about what marriage should be. Mm. And everyone who reads Genesis 2 and sees the picture of perfect intimacy, trust, kindness, vulnerability, our hearts go, amen. Mm. That's what we all want. Uh, That's what every love poem and song and romantic movie, um, that's what they're trying to express, Mm. imperfectly, of course. Um, And of course, some people have experienced such such a perversion of this that they may not be able to think about right, right. intimacy and trust in any uh, any way like Genesis 2 pictures it. But we do all want that at our core, even mm. if we have no idea what that looks like. Um, and, and yet, despite the fact that we want that, the reality is that in our marriage relationships, we experience brokenness. Our trust is broken. Um, vulnerability becomes an opportunity to be t- be taken advantage of and hurt. Hmm. Um, intimacy gets rejected, and we reach out for the other, for our spouse, and all too often, either we fear being rejected or we actually experience it, and, and we find oh, that they're yeah. not there. Yeah, man. Um, and, and this is why the, uh, I think the Genesis 3 characterization of marriage 
in light of the fall is so much more helpful. It, it captures the essence of a broken relationship that we all experience in our own marriages and in our romantic love lives. And, and, and in a way, really, in all of our human relationships. Yeah, and of course, what happens next in the story bears out the reality of this new relationship. Yeah, you know, first of all, the married couple is now, um, instead of partnering together and loving, this is so profound, you know, instead of partnering together and loving God and loving one another and extending God's good garden out into the world, they are now partnering together and hiding from God. Mm. We can't miss this. Right here, to me, is the single most powerful event that happens in Genesis 3 after they eat the fruit. Together, together, you know, they're both together hiding in the bushes from God. Yes, and how sad this is when we think about it in relation to ourselves. The worst thing about this fallen marriage after they sin is how it now serves to facilitate them turning away from God, Mm. hiding from God. Um, It's a dramatic depiction of the human condition because of sin. Together, we do everything we can to hide from God, to rebel against God. Mm. And, and, and then when God calls to them and he confronts them, we see such a tragic and awful depiction, if you compare it to Genesis 2, you know, such a tragic and awful depiction of what has happened to them. This couple, you know, of whom just verses before, the, the man had been saying, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my pl- flesh, and she should be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, I mean, just, just read this. You know, if you read it in Genesis 3, and I hope that they can feel the pain and the awful, sinful self-deception behind these words. Now Adam says, God, the woman you gave me, she gave me some, and I ate it. The blame that's going on, the, the shame, is so bad. And, and, you know, let me just say that while we can't call it a universal paradigm, I do think that at least for men, you know, whenever we get exposed... Uh, one of the ways we try to cover ourselves up is by blaming others. And, and definitely our wives will bear the brunt of that. You know, this is your fault. Uh, we men are very good, I think, at deflecting blame by passing it on to our wives. Well, and we women are also excellent at it. <laughs> I know my own heart and my own desire often to make someone else responsible for my sinful choices or even just mistakes. You know, we do that all the time. But anyway, we see a total destruction of the love intimacy and trust that had been there before the fall. Now, although men and women will still hold to that idea of marriage, even today, um, people would agree, uh, ideally, that's what marriage should be. None of us have the capacity to carry it out. Yes. And uh, Kathleen, you know, let's not kid ourselves because, because of sin, our sin and our spouse's sin and other's sin, this is really hard. We want this kind of marriage so badly, and yet it's also really hard. And in part, it's because of sin. You know, being intimate and vulnerable with your spouse and with others, um, you know it's going to result in receiving greater pain and hurt. The other's sin is going to come out at you, and, and any, any married couple knows the fresh, stinging pain of the brokenness of trust and of conflict and of hurt in those early years of marriage. Um, I think one of the greatest challenges in those early years is how do you push through that pain and not let it steer you away from intimacy and trust, you know, as painful and broken as it is uh, because of our sin. Yeah, and even beyond those early years, I think the the dynamic continues. And uh, if you've been pursuing intimacy in the early years of marriage, then I think it will uh, snowball in a, in a positive way, but I think if you've pursued hiding um, throughout the, the beginning of your marriage, then that will snowball in a negative oh, way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so 
I think that in some ways, the response um, to the the pain that comes from being vulnerable in a close relationship like marriage is to hide and self-protect. Um, so as we said earlier, we make ourselves busy to deflect from the potential pain and real hurt in marriage. And this is all marriages to some degree mm. or another. And I think the easiest way many of us do it is through work and children. Um, and, you know, after we work a lot, then we still have kids and they have a lot of needs and they have a lot of activities. And it's very easy to uh, focus so fully on that that you have no time left for intimacy with your spouse. Yeah. And, you know, in, in the midst of all the demands of life, I think that the key here is that a couple just needs to be self-reflective and aware. You know, am I doing this? Am I? Are we doing this life the way we're doing it? Because we're living out of a pattern of Genesis three, where we're hiding from each other, we're self-protecting, we're covering, because we're hurt and we're afraid, and maybe we're even angry. You know, the good news is that if you and your spouse are believers, this isn't the ultimate paradigm for you. You've both been redeemed. You've both been changed. You've both been given new natures. Yes. And while we'll get into this more beginning next week, we should say that if a couple are believers, as you just said, this pattern in Genesis 3 is still there to a degree because we're not perfected yet in Christ. We're still being sanctified. It's in process. But the great news is that it means these patterns aren't absolute. They aren't Mm. final. We can work together as a couple to battle against these tendencies of hiding and self-protection motivated by shame. We can overcome them to an increasing degree, but we have to decide that we want to do that. Man, and and Kathleen, this gets right to the heart of our ministry. I, I think marriage is not an accident. I think it's one of the primary human means that God uses to grow us up in Christ. And so our mission is to empower and equip married couples and parents to cultivate life in the home. God wants to use our marriage um, and, and, and as a means of us as believers growing up, being sanctified, becoming more mature. And that's both really good news and really challenging because it means that our marriage matters to God. God cares about our marriage. Our marriage is to be lived under His authority. It's not just enough to say, well, you know, we got married at a church by a pastor. That's just the beginning. You know, every day of our lives, every aspect of our marriages, God cares about it because God designed it uh, for, for Himself to be a way to, to help us grow. And He wants our marriage uh, to increasingly express His good and wonderful will um, and, and to be a place where we're growing in Christ. And, and through the marriage dynamic, that, that we should be, this should be stimulating our growth. You know, as we see our sin and as we repent and as we grow and we turn to God in prayer and we grow and we, we serve our spouse and we grow and, and we feel the joys of marriage and intimacy and sexual intimacy and we give all praise to God and we, we, we just are so in awe and wonder and thankfulness and all of this causes us to grow. Every bit of our marriage is about growing in Christ. And the starting point is to see with increasing clarity and potency the power of Genesis 3 over us so that we know what it looks like when we're doing it, oh, yeah. when we're living that out. It won't be obvious. It won't be like Darth Vader or Lord Voldemort show up at our door to tell us we're doing evil things that are destroying our marriage. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's much more subtle. It's the millions of teeny tiny little things, little uh, behaviors of self-protection and justification and choices for how to spend our time and, and our emotional energy. Mm. Um, 
And, and the, these are the things that build up to, the, to create a certain pattern in our marriage hmm. that um, mirrors Genesis 3 a lot more than it mirrors Genesis 2. Mm. Man, that's so good. Um, Thanks. So, you know, we, we need to sear Genesis 3 on our brains and our hearts, um, not because it holds power over us in an ultimate way for believers, if that's not true of us, but because it gives us the power to see the subtlety of sin at work in our own hearts and our minds and in behaviors. And seeing is the beginning. Once we see, then we can name. And once we can name, then we can pray and we can talk and we can change. Mm, yes, absolutely. That's, that, that is absolutely true. It's the power of, of seeing and naming these things. Mm. Um, well, so next week we're going to begin talking about marriage specifically from a New Testament gospel perspective. And so, you know, that's the, the good news that goes beyond the curses and the fall of Genesis 3. Yay. So, well, Kathleen, it's been wonderful getting to talk again, and uh, I really enjoyed uh, getting to talk about something in Genesis 3 that I think is really what the author wants us to see and some really vital takeaways for us today. And so, to that end, I I hope everyone out there has a wonderful day. Remember that Cross Life, um, we are a listener-supported ministry, so if you feel so led, please go to our website, www.crosslifetoday.org slash give and you can find information about how you can support our ministry and also on the website you'll find all kinds of additional resources additional podcasts sermons to help you grow in your faith and um, folks take care God bless we'll see you next time